everyone. I uh, I thought I'd pop in. I already see a bunch of you already here and waiting, and I saw some good questions. So I thought let's let's jump into it and uh, so hit some questions. How are you guys doing? How was your week? Hope your week was good. Hope you hear me fine. Oh, got to do that. Always hate that. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Uh, the first question I want to jump right into, uh, right after the bat, is from Matthew Roach. And um, he says he has a 2009 American Standard Strat with the fifth string, which is the A string. Uh, it's buzzing. It's buzzing out of the amp. So in other words, when it's plugged in, it's not just he's hearing the buzz of the guitar, but he's hearing buzz from the guitar through the amp between the second and ninth fret. He said two different luthiers said nothing wrong with the guitar can't fix the buzz. Any ideas? Yeah. The, the first thing you want to do when you have a guitar with a string, uh, especially a single string uh, that's buzzing, is I want you to raise the saddle on the guitar, you know, loosen the string, raise the saddle is not as high as it can go, but pretty high. I mean, get that action high. Um, and then what I want you to do is just make a good get, approximate guesstimation. Like I said, bring that action up. Give it give it a good, like, I don't know, four millimeters, whatever. Um, then tune it back up to pitch and play it then. It'll be really hard because it's high. And if that doesn't have any issues, you're not hearing any buzz. Now, then what I want you to do is incrementally lower it. Uh, you can pick, uh, you know, if you want to go a half a millimeter or a millimeter at a time, but lower it then tune it up and then see if it, it still buzzes, you know, if the buzz is gone. And then at some point you're going to, if there, if you started where there was no buzz and as you're lowering it, the buzz comes back in, you know, exactly from that situation where uh, something is coming in contact with a string. And that gives you a good idea where the problem could be because now as you bring the string in, you'll see where the string got closest to what fret, what part of the neck, if it was kind of bowed a little bit since that the meat of it's like in the, the second to the ninth fret. But more importantly, if you raise that action and you uh, tune it up and you get still getting the buzz, even with the high action, um, it's probably something else. Now, here's a situation with fenders that happens all the time. The nuts get cut wrong. Um, you know, it doesn't take much to mess up a nut. Um, you've got to make sure not only the slots are not too deep or too shallow, but they can't be at any kind of angle. And sometimes when people get files in there, they just, they don't go true. You know what I mean? They're not straight. And that happens too. So there can be a lot of problems going on. But the one thing I will tell you, and hopefully this will give you some reassurance is I, I understand that two luthiers told you there's no problem. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the guitar. But th the truth is, if you're hearing buzz, uh, there is a problem. Now, the one thing where they could be right, and maybe you could be a little mistaken, is if you're being too aggressive with your action. In other words, if your action is really, really, really low, okay, um, and you're having the buzz issue and, and you're just not willing to raise it a little bit, you know, the sad thing is not all guitars get to have super low action. Sometimes there's issues. So, so but what I'm saying is if you're being reasonable with your action, uh, you should be able to get it low without any buzz. So, and it really concerns me that you actually have narrowed it down to the second and ninth fret. So it's not like it's sizzling all the way up and down the fretboard, uh, which would give you some other indicators. The second to ninth fret's right in that special spot. So it, you might have a 12 fret hump or something in the neck. Um, there could be high frets. There's going to be a ton of things going on, but you're going to have to raise the action to figure it out first. And again, that's a little hard to do visually without showing you, but start there. That's where I would recommend you start. The next question comes from H22S. Uh, and it says, thanks for sending me uh, to Zim's last week. Picked up a sweet, picked up a sweet familiar looking 6505 mini. Oh, cool, man. That's awesome. 
that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that uh, was my amp. <laughs> and so um, I reviewed it. I like the 6505 Mini. I ended up, so you know, uh, H22, since uh, you have that amp now, let me tell you why you have that amp. Um, I bought a new amp this week. And that amp caused me to get rid of two amps, you know, as things happen, right? You, you decide uh, to do that. And um, uh, what I did was I decided to get rid of the 6505 mini head and my LBX, both the, the EVH type amps, uh, and get another Archon head. Now I have an Archon combo, but I missed my Archon 50 watt head. So I found one used on reverb and I got it and it was, it was damaged. Um, but uh, thank goodness, uh, at least I think so at this point, uh, the seller was very reasonable and we worked out some some really good uh, uh, situation. Because now I want to say this because if you guys want to see the video, let me know in the comments. I have a video of me unboxing the amp and the damage and all this stuff. But what I want to say was this amp took such a beating that the transformer shook loose. It came loose. And then from the, the becoming loose, the sheer weight of it jerking up and down and smashing the, the chassis, it dented the chassis, which flexed the board, which release, released some screws this <laughs> on this Archon. And I, uh, it, I tightened down the transformer. I put the screws back, um, you know, and it works fine. I checked it out thoroughly. The amp works fine. There's a little visual damage, which is why we talked about maybe compensating me a little bit financially because I don't mind, you know, the damage. I just don't want to pay, you know, the price we negotiated now that it has some damage. Um, but I'm also really impressed with the amp's ability to take that kind of abuse. Um, it was really hard to watch uh, it, when I when I opened out the box and seeing the damage. I thought this amp was dead. So that's what happened. New amp. So new amp for me. New amp for you. So hopefully you enjoy it. Um, I took really good care of it. Okay. Uh, what else we got going on? Now, I got a guest popping on today. He's going to pop up in a little while. And we got a little while, a little while, a little while, a little while. And we have some cool stuff to talk about. And I want to kind of, uh, kind of, kind of park or pin that discussion until we get there. So we'll get some, some, uh, we'll get some questions out of the, out of the way. All right. And. Robert Baker's in the house, but he's not the special guest. You know what? I should do a video with Robert Baker. They, uh, we should do that, Robert. The, what else? Um, the Creeper wants to know what I think of the new GNL tribute uh, ASATs. Is that how you say it? Is it ASATs? You know how I feel about the GNL guitars, those ASATs? I feel like it's like my son. When I was a kid, we called, this is going to start, I don't want to start a Star Wars fight, but uh, when I was a kid, we called the the, the things Adats in Return of the Jedi, right? And then, uh, then in uh, no Empire Strikes Back. Sorry, the Adats were in Empire Strikes Back, and then in Return of the Jedi, there was the ATSTs. And so now my son and every kid I know says it's an ATAT -AT and an STAT and not an Adat. But as kids, we called them Adats. So uh, on the GNL guitar, is it is it Adat? I mean. Is it ASAT or is it ASAT? What is, how do you say it? Is the GNL tribute ASAT or is it the ASAT? So let me, let me know in the comments. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard sometimes to understand what I'm supposed to call stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Leland just says, yes, ASAT. All right. Uh, ASAT, ASAT, like an ASAT. Uh, at, at, yeah. Yeah, see, this is going to be all uh, 
So Sean Blue says, I got the Freeman Runt 20 Mini and I love it. It's amazing tone. You know, my Freeman Runt 20 is in the other room and it's, uh, I was just talking uh, to the, when we did the patron hang about how it's on the chopping block to go. And I really love the amp. And every time I say I'm getting rid of it, it just lingers and it doesn't go. <laughs> and the reason is, is I really like it. I just feel guilty because I have the PT20 behind me and I feel silly because they're almost, they're very similar in how they are. Like, it's like I said, and I just, there's something about the PT20. I just kind of like, it's kind of, it vibes fun and it's different, but the, there's something about the run. So maybe I'll just keep both for a while. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I took a drink right as mixer. <laughs> sorry. Mixer said that, that like Mars attacks. Oh gosh. Talk, talk about a, uh, uh, throwback to that movie. Remember Mars Attacks? The dad, dad, dad. Yep. So, and of course, Metal Freak 2000 said asshat. Uh, what, what's that from? Is that from Caddyshack? The, somebody said that, right? It, it's in a movie. So, all right. What else do we got going on? I appreciate you guys making me laugh, man. It's awesome. Um, Okay, uh, Matt Bud says, replacing PRS Custom 24 pickups with Thornbuckers. Should I go with two Thornbuckers or a TB in the neck, TB plus in bridge? Okay, um, okay, so basically with two Thornbuckers or a Thornbucker in the neck and a Thornbucker plus in the bridge. So I'm, I, I have Thornbuckers in both uh, you know, in both positions, the bridge and the neck, and I don't have the Thornbucker Plus. The Thornbucker Plus is supposed to be a little hotter, um, and I had to go with my gut, you know, and just say, you know, hey, I think that's going to work for me. Um, I just don't know what the answer is for you. And the Custom 24, if, you know, I think now maybe I try the Thornbucker Plus because the Thornbucker is great, and I like it the way it is, but if it had a little bit more kick to it, I, I would be okay with it as well. So, Maybe try Thornbucker Plus, and then you can give me notes on what you think about it. Um, but like I said, I think based on what I do, what I what I have about my Thornbucker pickup now and how I like it, I think if it had a little bit more kick, I'd be okay with it. I actually enjoy that a little bit because maybe that's one of the things that sometimes I miss is it's it's a pretty low output pickup. So I'm you the Thornbucker Plus is still low output pickup. Um, I think it's like nine K right on the. You guys have to. I'm doing off memory. Um, what else we got? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, Greg Kendrick says, Hey, Phil, I'm getting a Splon Pro Mod next Monday. Congratulations. Super stoked. Thoughts on the KT88s? KT88s are cool, man. They're really cool tubes. Um, what was I just looking at that had KT88s and I was really excited about it? I think I was looking at a Rivera amp with KT88s. Um, I like the KT88 tubes. Um, I'm pretty sure, again, I'm going off memory. I had, well, I know I had this. So I had, I had the Kerry King, uh, uh, Marshall amp and it has, I'm, I'm thinking off memory. It had KT88s in it. And that amp is amazing. Uh, that was the best JC100 I think I've ever played. It was just fantastic in every way. It's definitely an amp that I'm looking back going, why did I get rid of that amp? Um, but the Kerry King. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the things it has going for it is KT88s. There's something about KT88s, man. They just have like a big, punchy, powerful sound that I like. So let me know what you think of that too. I always like hearing the feedback on that. Zach Young says, hey, Phil, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on a Strat Strat. 
style on strat style guitar in the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range that gives you that warm classic sound um yeah i mean that's i mean that's you you nailed it a thousand thousand to fifteen hundred is where the strats go um give you the classic rounds a uh, classic sound warm classic sound well here's what i think so if you want the classic i can give you the i'm gonna give you my uh what i've learned over the years zach i think in our brains we think of 50s strats 50 style strats 50s pickups as being you know kind of this warmer sound and the 60s sound being more of aggressive sound you know just a little bit more attack and what i've learned in my experience is 60s era guitars and pickups are warmer sounding and 50s are brighter sounding so keep that in mind. So if you're looking for that warm classic sound, go for something 60s era. So if you're looking for a Strat uh, style guitar, either go with a 60s reissue, maybe from Fender, or maybe get a guitar that you can throw some 60s era Strat uh, pickups in them. I find those, those pickups, even though they're just a slightly more output than the 50s style, that warms everything up because the 50s is a little, little, little aggressive. So, all right, let's, uh, let's take a look. What do we got next? We have, we have Craig and Craig says, I have a PRS Mira X. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my Mira is my favorite guitar. The Mira X, if you guys don't know, the Mira, I'm just a side note. The Mira is the guitar I love, the core one. The X was a one they made around that time that's basswood body. And uh, so it, it was a little less money in price, but it's really cool, very light. Uh, I want to replace the pick guard, but PRS say they don't make them now. Will you, oh, go back. Will, will one, all right, we're going to do this one more time. It says he has a PRS and he needs a new pick guard, but they don't make them any, they don't make them now. Will one for a Mira S2 fit replacement pickups? Assistance? No, no, it won't. But um, I'm pretty sure, and it's worth the chance, so you know, I'm pretty sure that a Mira core pick guard will work. I just bought one for myself off Reverb for $9 uh, and in black, um, and it fits perfectly. So, and if not, I'm pretty sure the person doing that is making them, you know, themselves. So you could probably reach out to them and, and see if they make one special for Mira X. I am very sure the Mira X will, uh, Pickguard will fit on the Mira. As far as I know, there was no routing changes on the Mira X and the Mira. Um, I'm really confident with that. And at that price point, nine bucks, uh, I think he has them in black and white. He's on Reverb, so just search for it now. I literally bought it within a month ago. I had a, uh, if you've seen the videos, the old ones, I had a black pearl pickguard on that Mira, uh, and I took it off and put a black pickguard back on, and that's why I did it. I saw it for like nine bucks on Reverb, and I thought, you know what? I just put a black one back on. So that should help uh, Craig let me know if that works, but I'm pretty sure it does. Um, Robert Pace just wanted to do a super chant for 10 euros. 10 euros is like $100 American now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't know what the exchange rate is. I just know 10 euros is more than 10 bucks. So, uh, so thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, uh, maybe I'll buy a beer tonight on it with you for free from you. I'll, 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 uh, I'll toast your name, Robert. Thank you. Um, okay. CJ Black said, uh, Blake, sorry, man. CJ Blake said, uh, just received the PRS silver sky with hard shell case sell now above list price. Or do you think, uh, it will be worth anything down the road. Oh, are they going for more than list price now? Is that what happened? How crazy. I didn't even notice. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. You know what my, 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 I can, I, 
my gut tells me there there'll be plenty <laughs> right um their production uh, their production of the john Muir guitars is only limited to speed okay so and i feel pretty confident saying this um i don't think there's going to be any problem making silver sky guitars as many as anyone needs i think their problem at prs's factory is how fast they can make them so this is us so if they're if they're going for premium price right now there's probably because there's a bottleneck in other words that they the demand was high i know they were slotted to make like two thousand of them i think they sold like 500 the first day or something at the nam show something like that uh those are the terms i thought i heard in the in the industry um but uh, no, man, I don't think it's going to go up in value at, at all. Not for a while. I think if you're going to, if you can get a premium for it now and you don't want it, I'd sell it. If you want it, um, I'd keep it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the easy part. But uh, as in a long-term investment, man, you're going to have to wait long-term. You're going to have to wait till John Mayer is no longer with PRS and they don't make them anymore for it to be worth more. Um and even then, so, you know, when he left Fender, they didn't go up in value until they didn't go up in value until I noticed until uh, recently when they started noticing that, that they're going to make a $2,300 PRS. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted $2,000 for the John Mayer ones. And up until then, I thought they were still floating around $1,500, $1,600 and knew they were like twelve dollars to $1,300. And to be honest with you, uh, if they would have been around for that last round of price increases that Fender did, they would have been $1,500, dollars $1,600. So, so that all being said. Uh, GTMM says Balag the Balagir Growler. Thoughts? I haven't tried it. Uh, Joe Balagir, um, Balagir, sorry, Joe Balagir, um, uh, is uh, is a guitar builder that I really want to check out one of his guitars. So I'm really, really uh, interested in that, and uh, and that's something I plan to to review soon. He's even uh, talk I've talked to him briefly, and I th I got the impression he was definitely willing to let me borrow one of the guitars to review which is what I'm trying to do more of is try to work out some kind of deal where I can borrow guitars to review and borrow stuff to review. Um, that, that's kind of my plan. Um, I cannot say the name at all. So we're going to say Wanda from Wisconsin says, what do you think about Crimson Guitar? I assume you mean Crimson Guitar, the, the, uh, the channel, the guy with the cool haircut like me, but with the cool tattoos. Uh, <laughs> Cool channel. I like his channel a lot. He's a, he's a great guy. I'll put a link in the description. He's a uh, master luthier. If you want to check out his channel, uh, I've watched a couple of his videos throughout, uh, throughout the years, really cool stuff. Uh, and I'm not just saying that cause he's got the cool haircut. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, no, definitely he's a cool channel. Uh, I've never seen anything wrong with it. Like, you know, so, you know, everything I've, I've ever watched, I was like really impressed with. So, Okay. Oh, Vince Jacob, man. Good question, buddy. Says, Phil, I never, wait, all right, one more time. It says, Phil, if most of the tone comes from the preamp section of a tube amp, why is so much emphasis put on the character of the power tubes? Now, Vince, this is a great question. Question I've asked myself many times when I was, anytime I have a guitar or an amp builder's ear, <laughs> right? Um, and I've, I've, I've honestly have posed it to many amp builders, uh, Dave Friedman, uh, um, Tony Crank from Crank Amps, Mark Malin from Malin Amps, um, the guys at 65 amps, you know, anybody that I could get to, and I could just keep going to the list and get boring after a while. But here's the deal. Um, I said the same thing. I said, look, you know, how much 
tone does the power section have? And they all seem to agree into some difference. You know, they have variations of what they say. But generally what I get is that the power tube section has the least amount of tone characteristics of the amplifier. The preamp section is going to be the most. Speakers are going to be a big part of that. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, components of the amp and how it's designed. But uh, the... In fact, I almost got the impression, and I'm not saying they said this, but I almost got the impression that sometimes having effects loop or reverb is going to be have more effect on the sound than maybe the power section. So it's not that power tubes don't have an effect on the sound, just they are not as dramatic as sound. But we do hear it because you can hear the difference between an EL84 and a 6L6, right? I mean, there's a difference there when you hear that. Um, but... Uh, yes, it's not that, again, it doesn't have an effect or it does have an effect. It's just the effect is uh, in the scale of things that are going to change the amp, it's going to have a, a lower effect than, let's say, the preamp section. And my, my personal opinion, and not any of theirs, because I don't want to confuse what they say and what I say, I think a speaker will have more effect on a sound of a, an amplifier than a power section tube. So there you go. But in my experience with amplifiers, the other thing I've noticed is the amount of volume you push has more to do with the sound than the power tube section. So in other words, if I took, um, let's say a set of 6L6s, a 6L6 50 watt amplifier, and I turn it real low, but I took a 6V6 amplifier, smaller power section amplifier, and cranked it up, uh, I would actually say that the 6V6s sound bigger because the volume is pushing harder. Does that make sense? Um, so if they're at the same level, uh, the bigger tubes may ha sound differently, better in a lot of ways, but when turned down, uh, you know what I mean? The effects are a little less to detect. Show in Blue says, I have two Crimson guitars. Oh, that's cool, man. That is really cool. Um, so obviously you like them because I'm going to assume you like the first one enough to get the second one. So that's a good, uh, I, I trust Showman. I, I appreciate you uh, saying that. Uh, Phil Smith says, is that a Marshall Class 5 head behind you on the PRS head? It sure is, but I took off the 5. <laughs> So mine just says class um, because the only thing I really don't like about the class five head is that giant red five because it doesn't look very martial to me. It looked kind of strange. Uh, so I took it off. Uh, and if you want to know how I did it, it's super. I think I used some absinthe, I think. Put it on a polished cloth and took it right off and left it. So now it just says, in fact, I think it says, what does it say? It, no, it says class. Okay. I thought it said something else, but no, it says class. So that's my class amp, no five. Uh, all right. Next question. You guys are fun today. I hope you're having fun. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, there's one. It's just cause I, Robin, I want to do this one cause it's fast. It says, what do you think of the Baja telly? Uh, great show. Never miss it. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate you, uh, saying that the Baja telly is something I've talked about in the past. The Baja telly is great. Part of the reason it's great is because it's a, it's a master builder's, uh, idea. In other words, the, the Baja Tele is, if you guys don't know, it's a Mexican-made Tele, but it's based off of a custom shop guitar that they made that one of the master builders liked. The Baja Tele sounds amazing, but part of the reason I think it sounds amazing is the neck is a baseball bat. And I literally mean baseball bat because it is thicker um, at, let's say, the, the first to the fifth fret <laughs> than it is at the, at the base. So it actually gets thinner as it goes towards the uh, 20, 20th fret, you know, somewhere on there. 
so it's it's like a baseball bat like, like it's thin and it gets thicker towards the top and it's a thick neck so if you like that i think you'll love the guitar if you don't like big uh kind of beefy necks uh i wouldn't recommend the guitar as much but it's a fantastic guitar it's one of those uh sleeper guitars for sure that a lot of people who get them swear by them uh the ones i've set up in the past and played i've always been impressed uh it definitely sticks out to in my head is one of the best sounding uh and playing made in mexico fender guitars that they make just that neck is like I said if you don't like big necks it's kind of kind of a no-go uh david gibson uh maybe related to gibson guitars probably not david gibson hey phil i'm now playing out of a vox vt15 oh cool cool i like the vt15 because it's the vt15 if i'm not mistaken it's the it's the um it's the 15 the preamp is uh is is tube and then the power section solid state right something like that i love the blues junior but need di questions the question is katana or question mark okay so uh yeah so basically you have a vox vt15 obviously doesn't have a di out because that's why you're looking for an amp with a di out katana or what else so what would i pick besides the katana right now and probably nothing the katana i think for me the you know we know the big players there's the viper series there's uh line six there's the mustang series uh there's katana there's the marshall series i mean there's a lot of players in there um right now i'm still a katana guy you know what i mean i still like it so so take that recommendation yeah somebody said katana yeah you know what it's one of those that got a lot of hype but it's uh it, it it's sticking around because the the quality is following along with the the hype uh robert baker says have you played one of the new hey robert <laughs> have you played one of the new martial origin amps no but i am uh itching at the bits the only thing about the martial origin amps that that kind of changed my vibe is i want the 20 watt head but the 20 watt is big like i thought it was the size of that class five but it's actually large it's a pretty large footprint but uh no it's on my radar i, I want to try it so, you know, because, you know, deep down, you always want to marshal. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, David says he's not related to Gibson Guitars. All right. <laughs> you never know. You could ask. Um, oh, you know what? Jeff Ripplinger says, David Gibson, hello, load box, question mark. Yeah, load boxes are good. Um you know, I, you know what? That's a great thing, Jeff. Thanks for saying something like that. I didn't even think about this. You know, I should just suggest what I use. I use the Mini Rock Rec by Rivera, that thing I'm pointing at right now. Uh, there are a lot of things like that. That is not a, uh, what do you call it, a load? That's not an attenuator, okay? What's behind me? I have an attenuator over here. I have the Rivera Rock Crusher. The Mini Rock Rec I did a review of it. I'll put it in the link in the description is a basically a, a load box. It'll let you plug your tube amp into it and then run a DI signal out with some IRs and it's all analog and it doesn't require any power at all. So it just, you just take it with you. You just put it on top of the amp like I do and you can run a line out to the PA or whatever you want. Uh, you can run a line out to the PA and a line out to another amp if you want to slave another amp. You can do whatever you want. You can make it to where the amp is shut off and no one can hear the amp or you can make it to where the amp is being heard and the signal is being sent out. And again, you have like a selector switch that lets you select between some different uh, EQ'd settings that will simulate different speakers like a Celestion to an Eminence and so on. It's kind of pricey. I think it's like 400 bucks. Um, 
So that's the only reason why sometimes I don't recommend it. But absolutely love it. I mean, no question about it. Uh, let's see what else we got. Next one. Um, what comes from Dan C? It says, hi, Phil. Princeton 65, 68, or just the Super Champ head? Um, obviously, I like all three of those amps, but I obviously love my 68 Princeton. Uh, the Super Champ head is a lot less money, Dan, so it's kind of an unfair question to ask of me. What I will tell you is, out of the 65, 68, I prefer the 68, and if you're going to go to the Super Champ head, I think you'd be totally happy. I don't like it as much as the 68 amp as well. You know, with the Super Champ versus 68, I don't like as much. But, I mean, it's, a, what, a quarter of the price? It's a $900,000 amp versus a $300 amp. So, you know, sometimes it's nice to have 700 bucks in your pocket. You have to make that decision on your own. Uh, next question is, hey, Jacob says, Phil, when is the next Sharp of My Axe coming out? Can't wait. It'll be next week. I pushed it back. I'm going to try and do them every other week, even though I skipped two weeks. Um one is not working the way we hoped. Nothing bad, just more work than I thought. Uh, Tim wants to know, Phil, have you ever used a Tonewood amp? I have a Tonewood amp. If you're, you guys are not familiar, it's a, it's not, it's a weird. It's kind of an amplifier, but it's a thing that sticks um, to the back end of an acoustic guitar and turns the acoustic guitar into an amplifier and lets you add effects. Um, a very good friend of mine, Larry Mitchell, is a endorsed sponsored artist with them, and he's of course fantastic. And uh, he was the first time I ever saw one, and then I got to check out his on his guitar one day. And uh, the Tonewood people, believe it or not, are here. I think they're a whopping uh, 12-15 minutes from my house. They literally Tonewood is here in where I live. Uh, I don't have one. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, you know, it's cool. I, so maybe I should reach out and see if they'll let me review one. That'd be cool. Uh, it'd only take me a small drive to go get it. Okay, somebody said I missed a super chat question. Well, what's great about that is now I have the ability to make sure I don't miss any of them. So they're all archived now. Okay, next question is for James shackleford he says do you or did you work in the music industry uh well it depends on what you mean by music industry um musical instrument industry industry yes i have uh, have and do currently still work in the music uh equipment industry um so yes i i've owned a store i owned a store for almost 13 years 12 and a half years um before and during that store, I owned a bass guitar company. I made McKnight basses. That's how I got into the music retail side of it. I was actually building my own basses. They were my design, and I started import. I, I built some, and then I started importing some, and then through a very long, boring story, decided to open a store uh, and do that as well. And then from that, I invested in another company, and that's what I currently do now. I really don't talk about that that much on the channel. Um, has nothing to do with YouTube or this. It's very boring, um, but I do that as well. So, and then uh, I also do YouTube videos, <laughs> which takes up some time for sure. Uh, the next question says, oh, maybe that was the only one I missed. And double checking. I just want to make sure. Nope, that's the only one I missed. I don't want to, but thank you, James, for that question. So, but if you're asking about the music industry, like mu making music, no, I've never never really made music. I've played in many bands like everyone else, but nothing noteworthy. Okay. 
Daniel wants to know if I ever designed a six-string bass. No, I have not. So, in fact, I every I've never designed a five-string bass. I did a I did a bass. <laughs> I designed a bass uh, that was a four-string bass. It was like this bass I had in my head. And if you guys remember, you probably remember this back in two thousand two, two thousand one, around that time. That's when the bass revolution was really happening. Victor Wu was huge. He was everywhere. If you're into bass guitars, you guys know what I'm talking about. Just all of a sudden, it just became the thing. And I'm a bass player, so of course I was very excited about it. And I, I that's how I threw my hat into that arena. The company was very successful. Um, now, very successful is a different, everybody's got a different term of that, but I can tell you this, from that business, I was able to take the money that it made from that and open a store. So obviously it was a, it was a good endeavor. And then the store, you know, obviously uh, did well. Um, ever own an Olympic base? No, not really. I've never owned an Olympic base. I've had many others. Uh, and if so, would you say the price charge is worth it based on the features? Uh, you know what? I mean, they're really coveted. Olympic is like, it's like Rickenbacker to me. It's just this uncompromised instrument that's been around forever. Um, amazing stuff. But no, it's always been out of, out of the reach for me. Uh, Bubba Zanetti. I think I said it right. Hopefully Bubba. Uh, says, hey, Phil. What are your thoughts on the Sterling Loop models? I haven't tried them. You know, funny enough, uh, you guys know I did the um, review of the James Valentine this week on Sterling, and that was great. You know, you guys were here with me on the live show. We did the St. Vincent guitar live, right? I said, hey, let's buy that guitar. I did the review. Then the guys at Music Man Sterling said, hey, they sent me an email out of nowhere. said, hey, we like that review. You want to review something else? And I said, sure. I, and they said, what? And I said, you know what? Anything with a uh, carbonized or a roasted maple neck, I'm really curious to, to kind of talk about that on the channel, especially in the affordable series. Uh, so I did that review. And then uh, I'm pretty sure what I got uh, back email from them was they liked that video and they like to send me a Luke model next. And that's what I uh, think I remember him saying yesterday. So maybe the Luke models in the future. Um, and again, I hope you guys understand. I'm really interested in this stuff, especially for, for, as a community talking about it. Hey, look, I think we have a guest. Hey. We do have a guest. How's it going, buddy? Going well. I wasn't sure uh, when to really jump in. You were answering questions and stuff, and I was kind of trying to pick my moment. No, you can jump in anytime you want. Hey, guys, I told you guys there'd be a guest today. We have Aguafish. Do I say that right? Uh, no, but nobody does, so <laughs> it's do you, okay. How do you officially say Aguafish? Ag uh, it switches between Agufish and Agafish. So take your pick. You got to tell me what it means because it's the strangest name ever. Uh, yeah. So I kind of chose it because, um, so I was just like, I was, I was uploading videos just for, for myself and, uh, just writing songs for my friends. And I didn't want to use my real name cause I was working in a corporate job at the time. I wanted to keep it totally separate. Right. And, uh, I was just looking around my room and actually I have it here. Uh, my Girlfriend at the time, she asked me what my what my favorite and uh, I, I said the uh, the sunfish or what my favorite aquatic animal was, and I said it was the sunfish. And she looked online, tried to find me like a little plush toy of a sunfish, and couldn't find any cute ones. So she made one herself and named it Agu. And uh, I was just looking around my room around my room for uh, for anything to name my channel, and I saw the fish, and so. Yeah, that's it's named after a plush, uh, a plush sunfish. So the official name should be ag agu fish, right? Yeah, agu, it, it, agu yeah. fish. 
Agu the fish, and I just shortened it to Agafish. <laughs> nice. You know, it's funny, uh, just to tell you, I've had this discussion uh, now with a bunch of YouTubers about the names on channels, right? Like Pixie Licks and stuff like that. And when I started my channel, that was during, that was right when I, I started my channel, like most people, I think, to watch YouTube. I had no intention of making YouTube videos. And when I started my channel, it was during that brief time where when Google bought them uh, and made it to where you had your channel had to be the name, your name. You know what I mean? Oh. And they wouldn't let you make up names. So I just named it my name. And then later when I started posting videos on it, so we've talked about the fact that it, like I didn't have the opportunity to change it to a anything other than my name. So something branded. Yes. And then real quick, I got a question and then we're going to talk about some cool stuff. Uh, the question comes from Mike Larson. He says, would you upgrade the electronics input? So electronics in the James Valentine guitar. What is the suitable similar upgrade for the bridge pickup? Um, so I did that review and that, it was definitely if there was, like I said, a weak link in the guitar was the pickups. But actually, it's not the bridge pickup I had a problem with. If you want to replace that single coil bridge pickup because you don't like a single coil there, then yeah, any humbucker that you like would be the right pick. Um, I actually dug the single coil there. It was the neck pickup. I didn't like it. It was kind of muddy. I had trouble getting clarity out of it. So um, if I was going to upgrade my James Valentine guitar, it would definitely be a uh, put something in the in the neck pickup um, that I like so, something probably low output that would really complement that single coil. So probably different than maybe what you're thinking, Mike. Um, but, and if, if not, if I was going to do dual humbuckers, I would do a set of 59s, something low output. So just because I'd leave that booster in, it was cool as hell, <laughs> right? That booster was killing. Uh, somebody said in the comments, uh, that they didn't hear a difference. Well, let me tell you, man, I don't know if you didn't hear a difference or somebody said it wouldn't make a difference, but, um, it was it was throttling my amps so it was a cool little option i really enjoyed it okay so hold on a second and then i'm gonna earmark this question for a second we'll come back to it i promise we won't miss you uh but so because it got because i've been trying to get agafish on here for wow since before christmas yeah right? before nam yeah before nam and uh, it's been tough because our schedules kept crisscrossing. So, but I want to talk to him because there's a couple of reasons why. Obviously, to highlight his channel. His channel is an up-and-coming channel. He does really, really well. Um, oh, thanks, man. Uh, how many subs yet now? Uh, 30,000. Broke 30,000 earlier this week, I think. Sweet. That's what I thought. I thought it was like 30,000 when I saw it last, right? Which was like a couple of days ago. So yeah. Um, and um, what's interesting about his channel is he's one of the younger guys doing this. Not that we're old guys, but you're definitely in the gear review community. You're on the younger side. So I always like to see that uh, different perspectives, right? Um, because it's easy for someone like me, I've kind of said this before, it's easy for someone like me that's been in this for like 25 years, been in the industry, working with stuff, doing stuff, right? You know what I mean? To look at stuff and kind of see it the way I see it, but it's hard sometimes to look at something fresh. And when I watch your channel, that's what I like about your channel. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it, it also makes it hard for people to, to take me seriously sometimes, though, because, like, I get a lot of comments that are like, oh, I've been playing guitar for longer than you've been alive, and so you don't know what you're talking about. So that's kind of, I mean, 
it, it helps it. I, I think especially in this industry, it does help to be uh, a little more uh, experienced. Well, it's, it's nice to have a, a, def, a reference immediately. Right. But let me give you an example. And somebody just hit it right now. Right. Uh, Blimp Puss just said, he's an epi guy like me, uh, which we know he means Epiphone. Right. And that's a, yeah. yeah. And that's a perfect example. Right. I think, I think if I was how you're, how old you're, do you tell people that, uh, <laughs> give us a guesstimation. Uh, 25, 25. Okay, cool. Yeah. So here's the deal. If I was 25 again, <laughs> uh, now in this internet world that I'm in now, I think I would be really, really pro Epiphone. Does it make sense? And I've said this before and everybody's gonna have different opinions. And that's what I love about the internet. Maybe sometimes maybe that's what I hate about the internet, but that's okay. Is I can't go back. That's the problem. Once I have a Gibson Les Paul, once you work your butt off for many years and you buy a Gibson Les Paul, whether you're right or wrong about it, it's hard to sell that to buy an Epiphone. Does it make sense? Mm, kind of. So I, I do have a, uh, a Gibson Les Paul as well, but I just love the, the Epiphone stuff because um, my first Epiphone I got in like 2006 and that thing was the the guitar that I really learned how I went through my discovery of like the music that I listen to now, all the heavier stuff. Right. And so I just kind of formed a, a bond with that guitar. So even though I have a Gibson, I still have this affinity with Epiphone and uh, an appreciation of how far they've come since 2006. Cause they're also the guitars that as like a younger guy, they're the guitars that I can afford. <laughs> so they're the guitars that I'm more interested in checking out than the, uh, you know, the, the $1,500, $2,000 Les Pauls from, from Gibson. Yeah. But see, here's the trick. Let me, let me tell you, see, this is why I love this kind of discussion because you're going to have a totally different perspective than me and, and vice versa. Here's the problem that happens to, to you as you get older when it comes to guitars, right? I know what a Gibson cost 15 years ago. And so it, immediately what happens to my head all the time is a lot of the stuff I bought, it's like, you, you don't want to get rid of it because it's just going to cost more later. You know what I mean? Like it just goes up in value. Um, I was just laughing. I was thinking I got on a whim a week ago. I thought I was going to buy another Les Paul and I was out looking at used ones and they're about $700 more than I thought they were just in looking at them in the last year. How much do you think they were? I like 1200 bucks because about a year and a half ago I bought, I have a, I have a Les Paul standard. I bought about two years ago and I paid about 1200 bucks, right? You pick one up for about 12, maybe 15 is on the high end. And now I'm looking and 15 is on the low end and everybody's trying to get $2,000. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, even so when I bought my, my Gibson was, uh, it's a Les Paul custom, a 72 Les Paul custom. Right. I bought it in, 2011 2012 and that thing cost less than two grand yeah and now they're crazy yeah right it's it is an interesting it's an interesting thing um and so like i said but i agree with you i think epiphone overall is better quality working on the guitars over the years definitely epiphones impressed me on average more than gibson's uh, there's no questions about that um it's just there's something about, like I said, once you kind of go, okay, I got the Gibson now. I don't know if I want to, you know, I guess the way I look at it is, is like a friend told me once I had, uh, I, I found this PRS SE that I loved 
And so I told my buddy, I said, I'm going to get this. And he says, oh, yeah, I could totally see you playing that staring at your core PRS on the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I get his point. I, I was looking at like both guitars are good and I'll play either one. And his point, which I thought was valid too, was really, it's like, you know, like, you know, you're going to leave the Lamborghini in the driveway and drive the, <laughs> you know what I mean? The other car. Um, so, so like I said, it's interesting, but I know, uh, but I like that you champion the, the Epiphones um, because it's important. Yeah. Uh, is it the headstock? Do you not like the headstock? No, I love the headstock. I <laughs> I've noticed online, like, there's a ton of people that, like, they write Epiphone off immediately because of something something super small, like the headstock or or the fact that it doesn't have, like, a maple cap on the top or, you know, stuff like that. For me, it's – it's I like the angle on the Epiphones better, the shorter angle. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I do like that better. For me, it's the finish. You know, I, the Tone King said this on one of his live shows. I was watching it, and I thought it was really great. And his point, which I thought was perfect, was kind of to the fact that they should really try to make some Epiphones like Gibsons. You know what I mean? In the idea that Fender has done the same thing. So, you know, if you want a vintage Fender lacquer-based American guitar, they make made-in-Mexico versions. They make a lacquer-based made-in-Mexico Strat, if you want that old vibe and kind of Strat tone. To me, it sometimes would be interesting if Epiphone would build a guitar in the same standards and specifications as the Gibson, which is to give it a lacquer kind of – because that lacquer – because to me, candy coating the, the the Epiphones, like when they put that high, high thick polyurethane on it, yeah. it's cool because I think it looks nice. It's shiny, but I think it changes things a little to, to where it doesn't have the same vibe as Les Pauls. But really, sadly, we all know it's just a, the marketing of it. They marketed well to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I get you, because, like, the Epiphones, they don't have the Gibson smell. They don't smell like vanilla out of the box. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, like, something that people don't realize, that that's one of the magic of Gibson. You open that up, and it smells like vanilla, and you're just like, this is this is awesome. Dude, I love I love that smell, right? When you... Apparently, it's terrible for you, but, I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then you like LTDs, right? I yeah. yeah. So yeah. the stuff that I can afford is like the, the stuff that I think has the best bang for buck um, in terms of quality and uh, specifications. It's all in that eight hundred to a thousand dollar price range. So that's what I kind of uh, aim towards for my for my channel. And so uh, I've always had good experiences with like the high end LTDs and the high end Epiphones and uh, like the PRS SEs, like that kind of standard. Uh, yeah. So do you care about where stuff is? Do you care? Do you have a hierarchy to Indonesian versus Korean? Like, cause in Epiphones, you have that issue too. And do you have a, do you care about that stuff? Uh, I don't care about it as, as like a, um, like I, so I grew up in China, so I know right. all, all about like the Chinese manufacturing, but I don't consider Chinese made guitars any worse than Indonesian made guitars. I, I, kind of consider the place of origin um, to be an indication of how much work I'm going to have to potentially have to do with the guitar to make it play. So in general, the, the Chinese-made guitars need more work than the Indonesian-made guitars, than the Korean-made guitars, and then, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the hierarchy I go to. You know, it's funny you say that. Somebody put a comment on one of my videos when I did the Music Man review this week that Indonesian guitars were lower 
like that he was doing the hierarchy of guitars in his comment and the comment he put indonesian lower than china and i actually look at indonesian guitars as being higher quality than china guitars in my my experience yeah it depends so, on the factory though right yeah of course and 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 so and there and some of that is and it's funny because i'm i'm curious to see what you think i have noticed i think it's a philosophy difference so in china they my experience with guitars made in china is they like to throw bodies at things like they like to throw p handwork work labor at things where korea and china are more like the u.s in the and where they throw more machines at things right so so indonesian will let a machine uh, they'll buy a higher quality cnc machine to cut as close a tolerance as possible so that they can do less hand inter interference when finishing it where i noticed china does more rough cut not rough cut bad but you know kind of more less machine driven stuff and more they put the hands on it again yeah um, it's, it's cheaper to get five people to work on it than it is to get a cnc machine right which is where i consider the and I think a lot of times when we all say quality, especially on YouTube, we're really talking about consistency. Like I say the word quality, but what I really mean is consistency. So when somebody says, hey, what do you think of uh, an Epiphone guitar? Is it quality? And I would actually argue, like is a Epiphone guitar as good quality as a Gibson? And I'll say yes, but really what I mean is consistency, right? Epiphones are consistent in quality more so than let's say another brand. Yeah. Um, cause they own all their factories in China. So a lot of, uh, like Ibanez, Jackson, uh, a lot of the other ones, they, they don't own the factories in China. They, they contract factories to make them. Whereas Epiphone is actually one of the ones that they've got Gibson employees in an, in a Gibson owned factory. And so they're able to have that consistency as opposed to, um, some of the other brands. So Matthew Roach says Epiphones are not cheaper gibsons because epiphones have their own unique tone they look similar but are very different in my opinion and you know what's funny about that I, I, i'm going to tell you a funny story so there's this guy named chris as far as i know he still runs squire um but he when he started taking over squire and this is about 2004 he really turned squire around like squire was in 2003 squire was horrible <laughs> right like nobody was buying squire unless they were students and when he started really improving Squire for Fender, it was the first time that they put somebody in charge of Squire. Like instead of before where it was kind of like somebody who run, ran, were run Fender and Squire, you know what I mean? They really gave him the reins and let him kind of bring the brand back up. And the funny part was when I was talking to him one day, I said, man, hopefully you can make Squire as good as Epiphone is. And this is 2004. I'm having this conversation with him. And he said, absolutely. That's my goal. And so I think it's funny when Matthew says Epiphones are not cheaper Gibsons. That is a perfect example of what Epiphone has done, right? They have built their own brand. I think they're the second largest or third largest brand in the world. They told me third. Third. Okay. That would make sense, right? So, and that's a perfect example. You know what I mean? I, so he's got a valid point. It's its own brand, but unfortunately, where I agree with you, Matthew, they're their own brand and they're unique. They're also very cloned off of a Gibson, which is where they get the, you know what I mean? And get, and Gibson and Epiphone does do that on purpose. Yeah. So. For, yeah, for sure. Um, you can see that in some of like the signature models as well. Like what, what I like about what Epiphone's doing now is, uh, you know, before you would have the, the artists, they would play their, their Gibsons and then they would do like the signature models that were affordable and they'd be, you know, the, like um, $400, $500 Epiphone 
you know, it wasn't even close to the same guitar. Whereas right. now you have like Matt Hafey, Bjorn Galat, like all of them are actually using the same Epiphones that you you buy in stores. They're using the same ones on tour. So it's like they're they've completely shifted from just like the budget Gibson, at least like from when I've been playing, they've 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 stopped being the budget Gibson. They've started being their own kind of uh, bang for buck quality guitar brand, which um like I notice, a lot of the younger guys get it, and a lot of the older guys are like, "Nah, they're they're shit," because they're not Gibson. Well, because this is why, like, talk about the age thing, um, is it's real if you're if you're you know your first impression is your first impression, right? Whether you meet a person or you see a thing, it doesn't matter. A lot of guys who are older, um, their first impression of a lot of these brands, like Evaphone was, it was. Yeah, I think with this, ironically, I could argue if you're a lot older than me, your first impression of Epiphone was really good because Epiphone was a high-end company back in, you know, like my grandfather would probably go, oh, Epiphone, that was some expensive, great stuff. Yeah, the Beatles used Epiphone and everything, right? <laughs> right. My first impression of Epiphone, uh, literally, no joke, was walking in a music store. I was probably 16, maybe 15 years old. And it's when Epiphone was making knockoff Fender Strat looking guitars. <laughs> right oh yeah you can google them they're they're like strat like bodies but they had like these goofy hockey stick looking neck headstocks that said epiphone and uh i never really heard epiphone i was like oh so it's some kind of knockoff knockoff brand you know what i mean and then later you start seeing more epiphones it, so it takes it took a while before epiphone became the brand it is now so you have to google them if you know what I'm talking about there, they were crazy. It was, uh, it was probably 1990 90s. So 1990, 91. So I bet you if you Google like Epiphone Strat style guitar, 1990s, it comes up. Oh, and I do that. yeah. And then, uh, somebody's got a question. James Shackelford says thoughts on the Joe Bonamassa Epiphone flying V. Uh, you want to take this one? Yeah. My thought is, you know, what's funny is I've said this before. It has nothing to do with Joe Bonamassa. The Epiphone Flying V, you were talking about this earlier. You were saying, you know, headstocks guys don't like the headstocks. Epiphone Flying V. I want a Karina Epiphone Flying V because the headstock's exactly the same. Like when I look at the Epiphone Flying V, I go, why would I buy the Gibson? It literally, it looks like the same guitar. <laughs> So to me, that my favorite Epiphone is going to be the Flying V and the uh, what's the other one that they do the same headstock? They do the um, the Explorer. The Explorer. To me, when I see those two Epiphones, those are the best ones because they literally look <laughs> like the Gibsons in every way. See, that's the thing. I love the Epiphone headstock. Like I, I I like it better than my Gibson one, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, but well, for the well, oh, go on. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just gonna go for the for the Bonamassa Flying V. Didn't Bonamassa say that the Epiphones were like toys for kids? Like I've I've heard people say that he doesn't think very highly of Epiphones, which which I think is funny because he has Epiphone signature models. Yeah, but uh, in retrospect, right? I bet you if you got him down to the wire, you held him down, right? I bet you he would probably think current Gibsons aren't Gibsons either. You know what I mean? Hmm. Think of it like a think of it like a vintage car collector, right? You got a guy who's collecting old Mustangs. He's probably not. He probably doesn't think the new Mustangs are really Mustangs. You know what I mean? 
like the old ones of the classics. So, and so obviously the, the, the copy of the Mustang that's affordable is definitely not <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Because I mean, cause I mean, he doesn't really play Gibsons. He plays old Gibsons. You know what I mean? Um, and that seems to be his passion. And I don't, th I'm not saying he hates that stuff. I'm just saying, you know, your passion is your passion. He seems to be passionate about old Gibsons. I think he has two 1959 Les Pauls now. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know what, I mean, what are you going to, what, what, what could he say? Like if Joe Bonamassa walked into guitar center and saw a $2,500 Les Paul standard and you think he's like, wow. Yeah. And like blueberry burst or something. He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> right he's he's probably like no nah, i he goes no nah, i'd rather go to some other shop and go look at a you know a 58 or a 65 or something like that right yeah um and then i got another question from i can't say the name but i'm gonna say the last name is laskaswaski so i'm gonna say uh lewis from L L louisiana <laughs> i just make up names when i can't say them uh it says hey phil what do you think of the nick johnson Schechter, uh the one with the wing the wing gay neck uh, do you think it's worth the money? Do you have any thoughts on the Nick Johnson crazy Schecter? That's an expensive one. Um, I don't, I, I'm not familiar with that one actually. Okay. It's the surf green looking strat with the solid, it looks like a solid rosewood neck, but it's, it's wing gay. You know what I'm talking about now? No, I, I haven't been keeping up with Schecters to be honest. Let me, oh. let me Google it real quick. Well, well, yeah, Google it. Cause it's like 2,500 bucks. <laughs> Maybe more. Uh, so my opinion, it's a great guitar. I actually got to touch one once. Uh, it was that moment, uh, very sir feeling. Like I was like, okay, this is legit. To me, it's in the it's in the vein of the Ibanez AZ series and uh, the sir guitars. Um, me personally, I, I'm not. A, I you know Nick Johnson's great, but it's I only buy artist guitars to the artists that I'm really passionate about, and there's not a whole lot of those. You know, for me, I love a lot of artists, but I don't like run around just buying all those guitars that artists have. So I'm not a huge fan of the guitar um, for the price. I, I actually would love to put my hands on that same guitar made in Indonesia or Korea for about $700. Then it would be a cooler guitar for me with 2,500 bucks for that. That's a tough thing for me to, to come to terms with. Uh, yeah. You? I just looked it up. Uh, I love it. <laughs> you see? I love it. Because it, so it, it looks cool, right? It's yeah. it, it that dark uh, wood with that that kind of surf green looks fantastic. Um, it's just, you know, the other problem for me too is that uh, Guitar Center has you, you get them used if you want, but they have a, a a Daphne blue similar color Strat with solid rosewood neck for less. You can get that one for like fifteen hundred bucks. Hmm. So it's. You know, it's it's tough because ultimately when, when you talk about this stuff, money is the huge factor, which I think is funny because everybody doesn't talk about that. But that's that's my driving force. Like you were talking about earlier, that's your driving force too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of gear. I've been collecting it for a long time. But I mean, there's when I see stuff, I'm like, it's not that I don't buy high-end gear. It's just the more expensive it gets, the more I have to scrutinize the purchase. Yeah, there, it's definitely the law of diminishing returns like comes in because then it's like it, it 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 goes back to like where it's made as well, and you're paying because it's made in a certain place or because it's got certain a certain name on it. Like this, it it, it doesn't really scream like signature model to me. Right. So I, yeah, um, but I do like. So one of the things that drives me crazy about strats that I've noticed for this one, like the the volume knob is way too close to the bridge. 
And it looks like what they've done is they've taken out knob down a little bit. So it's just like little things like that that I really like about this guitar, besides the fact that it's in one of the most awesome colors that a Strat can come with. Yeah, I think it's funny how Sir Green really comes from like the late 50s, early 60s, and it's still this dominant color today. Like everybody's, I think very few people don't like Sir Green. Yeah, those colors, like, um, uh, what's the, what's that guitar company? Balaguer Guitars is all about those, like, surf green and the, the Daphne blue and the, the, um, the, what's that pink that they use? Yeah, those colors are, they're making a comeback, man. Yep. And then, um, I'm going to say Tigrum 01. <laughs> it's, I, I haven't, you know, I can never read any sign-ons. It's like reading somebody's license plate. It says, hello, do you think guitar rig is still relevant for live rigs? For live gigs? Okay. Guitar rig. How about you? Got an opinion on guitar rig for a live gig? What is guitar rig? So guitar rig, see, that's a, there you go. There's your answer right there. Um, guitar rig uh, is is like an interface thing you can put on your tablet, <laughs> right? You can... It's guitar rig is like a, you know, it's like a, you know, like ample tube and stuff, right? You can put it on your, uh, you can use it on your phone. I have a funny story about guitar rig. Uh, Gary Hoey, who's an artist was using it once on a live show. He was, I think he was interfaced with it and somehow using it like on a phone or a tablet. And, um, uh, I don't know if it's relevant for live gigs anymore. Cause obviously Agafish is like, what is it? <laughs> um, I think it's really, to be honest with you, it's like, to me, it's like the beginning of that kind of interface, you know, direct interface, you know, not a recording, but I, I, on a side note, I'm really not for anything that I have to put on my phone anymore for my guitar. Yeah. Um, so uh, then again, I don't really do live gigs all that much. Like when I, when I play guitar, it's mostly at home to do these, um, the, like the gear demos and stuff. But, you know, five years ago, they were saying, like, the, the phone interfaces and the tablet interfaces and everything, that was going to be the future. And that really hasn't gone anywhere, um, I think, because you can get so many of these, like, the lunchbox amps have just exploded. And so you can get great portable live tone through one of these lunchbox amps mic'd up, and, um, and you don't have to worry about technology failing on you, um, like with a phone or anything. Yeah, I, I, um, I just feel like anything that makes me interface with my phone, I'm just trying to get the hell away from my phone. <laughs> yeah. <me too. laughs> so sometimes when I'm, I'm right, sometimes when you sit down with your guitar and stuff, I just want that piece of technology as far from me as possible. Um, and so I think there, I think the company's logic is hey, let's make this convenient by putting it with the thing that they use all the time, like their phone. But my brain really says, this is the thing I'm trying to get away from right now. So um, so it's not that it doesn't have a purpose. It's just that this doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I just don't, uh, I think a lot of guitar players just don't trust technology yet when it comes to, when it comes to that. So I don't think they've, I don't think it's caught on as much as they'd want it to. And so they haven't improved it as much as, again, these lunchbox amps, like the, you get like a, I don't know, like a mini terror or, or, a, you know, a little Hughes and Kettner or something. Yeah. Also too, my problem is, is that some of the stuff 
it's like you know it happened to me this actually happened to me um i have a droid s8 plus that's the new one i think right and um i bought a piece of technology that interfaces my phone a couple months ago and it just had came out so it was by roland it just came out so i went and bought it not even thinking and it's compatible with every droid but the new one because mine just came out and so <laughs> So it only it doesn't go back more than like two or three droids back and it doesn't do the current droid It was just it was just funny. It's like and so to me it wasn't nothing wrong with Roland great 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 company great product But to me it was like I got home and I'm like see this is why I don't want to interface with my phone it Just adds an element that I'm not interested in I hear. It says uh, Robert Knight says I have the same exact Epiphone Les Paul custom as you sharpened Okay, so he's talking about the silver burst I did uh, and it says in your sharper max series bought the same nut as you did you have to file it down? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I file it a little I had a little bit you're always gonna file a nut a little bit Very rarely does it all just drop in and it's just perfect <laughs> um, And if you're lucky which I was If your current nut is cut perfectly, that's your template for your new one. So pay attention to those measurements um, and then uh, Sublime Ibanez, I'm going to say you like Ibanez, Sublime Ibanez, says, speaking of Squire, any tips on changing the hexagon tuners on the O2 Squire Strat? Also still haven't hit me up on the Tom Anderson. Okay, so I'll, I'll make sure I follow up on that email. I know we talked about that last week. And then uh, any tips for changing the hexagon tuners on an O2? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not really sure I understand the question. I would love to answer it. I'm just not sure. I, any tips on changing the hexagon tuners on them? Um, I, I could tell you this on squires, I'm going to be a broken record, uh, any type of those kind of guitars, any affordable type guitars and replacing tuners use hip shots and, uh, ratios by graph tech with the plates that let you do non marring modifications. In other words, don't drill holes in guitars. Don't put tuners that you, you can't just take off and put the old ones back because you'll never get the money out of those tuners when you sell that guitar. Right, you kind of agree, or yeah, like when when did Hipshot start doing those those little plates to the, to put in? Those are amazing. The um plates, yeah. About I, God, I'm doing off memory. I want to say four, maybe five years ago. Could have been a little longer, but not less. Um, and so you know, Hipshot, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, I love them. And then, like I said, Ratio uh, is a is a Graph Tech, uh, you know, product. And it uses a similar plate, but instead of long plates, it uses individual plates. And there's things I like about both. So I recommend both. You know what I mean? But to me, um, like when I watch your pink guitar video, uh, same thing, right? You're like, yeah. you tell me you weren't like me. when you, The first time I saw those plates, I was like, oh, so simple. Yeah. Well, at first I was like, what is this? Like, why are they trying to add new stuff to like you? Like... Tuners have always been replaced the way the tuners have been replaced. Why are they trying to like change anything? And then as soon as I did it, I was like, why doesn't anybody, why doesn't everybody just do this? Cause you don't have to drill holes. You just set it down and you just, you install the tuners and then it's just done. Yeah. I used to, one of the things I used to hate at the shop was the, the face that everybody made when they were trading in guitars and that, 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 that they always had that sad pitch Oh, I have a Schecter Omen. I'm like, uh-huh. But I put really nice tuners. I put brand new pickups in it. I put all this stuff. And all you're thinking is, yeah, I'm not going to give you any money for any of that stuff. 
yeah. your guitar is worth maybe a couple bucks more. And so I, I tell everybody this, like a broken record. It, I don't care. Just, I know we all tell ourselves this guitar is forever. <laughs> I don't care what you say. If you mod a guitar, be able as much as possible to be able to unmod it back. If you ever get rid of it and keep that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's, and my advice on that has nothing to do with me being a guitar collector. It's literally from watching people lose their money every day, you know, because, um, in fact, I've said this on a side note, I'm just going to tell you this because I've said this before. I just like to point this out. My wife will let me do whatever I want when it comes to guitars, except for modding guitars. She gets really freaked out because she's seen me put, 500 to a thousand dollars into a guitar that was worth 500 dollars, and then have to sell that guitar for 500 dollars. and she knows that's how you lose your money is in the mods so. yeah like uh i'm in sam ash obviously a lot because i do a lot of work with them and you know i'll be there come in and they've got i think last time it was like a dean um one of the one of the dime bag models and they'd thrown in like you know fishman fluence pickups and hip shot hardware and stuff and they, they, he was like, he was, he was like, yeah, I threw in a thousand bucks and they're like, we can only give you, we can't even give you like the price that you paid for the guitar in the first place. And this kid was like heartbroken, um, yep. which is, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Keep all the original parts because like, you're going to regret it later down the line if you don't. Yeah. Well, that's why sometimes tell me you don't laugh. Sometimes I walk in like, well, I have a Sam Ash here that I like too. Sometimes you walk into Sam Ash and, and, and guitar stores like that. And I'll walk in and I'll look at a guitar and they want $300 for it. And I look and I go, man, there's $300 worth of pickups in that guitar. Yeah. Like the headset <laughs> alone in that thing is just like, yeah, I'll yeah. pick it up for 300 bucks just for the headset. Right. And and then that's when you're like, okay, so they probably gave this guy 150 And it's, and I think in my head going, why didn't the guy just sell the pickups for 150 You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Uh, but but I understand it. It's because when you're when you're there to trade and you're doing your thing, you know it's, it is what it is. But I think everybody thinks they're going to get their value back in their parts, and that's why, like I said, hip shot and ratio for uh, making those tuners that can pop back off and stick them on the next guitar is ingenious. It's smart. Yeah. Um, okay. Plus they're but, really good. Yeah, and they're really good. Yeah, I um i i like uh i like the hip shots open gears uh i have like 10 sets downstairs that i mess with you know for guitars and uh I, they're light too yeah so and then let's see what we got what kind of questions so, uh, showman blues saying graph tech ratio okay um i said now they're talking about katanas <laughs> Sometimes I'm looking for a good question to start a good conversation. Parker fly question mark. They don't make them anymore. Oh, really? Rip. Yeah. Yeah. They don't make them. I have two of them. I like them, but nobody else. Cause they're gone. Um, it's funny. They're just, I, okay. So here's one. This is from something dragon blade. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Hey, Phil and Agua. It says super chat failed. That happens. I need an affordable way to practice guitar with headphones at night. I'd be playing with a high gain. Think Mastodon cab sim uh, of some sort recommendations. What do you got? Um, isn't the, uh, 
so did he does he already have an amp is that what he's saying he's, no he says he needs an affordable way to practice guitar with headphones at night um so, so he's just looking for anything probably like bias or or uh, if he's already some probably like bias or amplitude or something it's probably the easiest way um but if he's already got an amp the new torpedo captor is apparently amazing it just goes you you plug your your amp straight in and then it goes into your daw and then um yeah you can just like use headphones on your computer yeah uh, yeah if you're using your computer those are are great ways to go i agree with that and he he's kind of said it strange because it says cab sim of some sort so i'm not sure if he's trying to say he needs the cab sim or if he's saying that's what he needs but hmm. um i agree with you the there are the way stuff sounds now through your headphones now is is fantastic so if you're looking for that if you're looking for an amp I mean, you know, there's tons of great amps that take headphone jacks now. Um, yeah, like Joyo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's like, um, I'm trying to think. From my favorite, I think still, I hate to say it, it's the Katana. I know everybody gets sick of hearing it, but it's a great, it's a great little practice amp. You know what I mean? Actually, you know what my favorite little practice amp for headphones is? Is um, my uh, this. It's literally here because it's what I use all the time. This thing. It's like fifty bucks. This little Black Star Fly. Have you ever checked one of these out? No, uh, I haven't checked the the Black Star out. Actually, I haven't even checked out a Katana. And it's it's weird because uh, earlier today, I think it was your video that you went up your display. Uh, you were you were asking about the new G three pedal and how there was yeah. like so much marketing around that, and and all the YouTubers got it all at the same time. And yep. I was like, oh, that's that's ridiculous when like video games are, are released or new everyone's reviewing the video game and we're a new car. Everyone's reviewing the new car. And why should it be any different with guitar gear? But then I realized for the Katana, it was the same for me because I saw so many videos on the Katana. I was like, ah, oh, another Katana video. Like, I don't want to watch this. Like, you know, yeah. I got I got kind of sick of it. So I like I've actually never checked one out myself because of that. Um, and so I kind of caught myself earlier just like right before I hopped on, I was like, wait a second, that happened to me too. Well, you know, yeah. You know, it's funny about that, that video today. The, the, uh, the reason I do stuff like that is cause I'm really curious. And, and this is just maybe some, something to tell you too. And anybody who's in the situation like us. Okay. So what, what happened to me on YouTube? How long have you been doing this? How long have you been on YouTube? Probably like a seriously about a year. Okay. I, I've been on for, I've been, my first video was almost three years ago and I've been doing it seriously for about two years. Right. And so I think you'll relate to this because same thing. I was about 30,000 subs my first year, just like you, right? Like timed up. And the problem I have, and this is not complaining, but this is explaining. The problem you have is, is that when a channel has momentum, when you get momentum, all of a sudden, you know, when you made a video the first time and you thought a couple hundred people watch it, you know, and you make a mistake and then a couple people point it out, it's fine. And then when a couple thousand people watch it and you made a mistake and they point it out, it's fine. But when you get to a point where you put out a video and in the first 30 minutes, a thousand people watch it and they're hammering you with your mistakes, you, you get prone to, you just don't want to make as many mistakes because they get more public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so what happens to me is, and I say this to every YouTuber and, and, and I always talk to my, to this live shows, like I'm talking, like we would talk if we were off the air. Um, you know, the first time a company ever reached out to me and said, hey, we want to send you this free pedal. It was my first product I ever got for free. I was so excited. I was like, I can't believe they want to send me a free thing. I couldn't believe it. I was beaming. 
And they sent me the thing and I was excited and I reviewed it. And then, you know, over time, more companies send you a couple free things, right? And it just keeps going. And that's never my point is whether or not that's good or bad. My point always is, is I'm trying to kind of like what you were talking about the katanas after a while you kind of get burned out. I'm always trying to say, Hey, look, kind of like with what I told you about reference. I've been doing this for 20, you know, I've been a gear freak now for 25 years. I can't look at things sometimes with fresh eyes, right? Well, sometimes what happens is I can't look at YouTube now without some experience because I was given some experience, you know, like you're learning fast, right? We learn fast. So that's why today that that's what that, that video was about was asking the question, Hey, do you like it when everybody reviews the same thing at one time? Or do you hate that? And if so, what's your thoughts on it? Not that it's good or bad. Cause I really don't know. And I was, so, you know, I was really, I don't know if you watched, I really enjoyed some of the comments that I was reading on both sides of the fence. It was really impressive. Some people were, I, I, one of the guys, one of the stuck out to me was the person who said, I really think I rather watch all the YouTubers have one product and get it over with at the same time. And I thought that was insightful. Um, and, um, and, but like I said, and, and I listened to somebody say, it's like, you know, the car business, right? You know, everybody gets the blog, the car at the same time, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's not a, and it's like I said before, in fact, what's funny was uh, I was Robert Baker and I were t texting back and forth and um, I was actually pointing out the fact that he's like a reverend artist. He's a rev artist, right? Not reverend rev. And so to me, I actually like, I've talked to him personally many times and he loves rev. Like he loves their amps to the point where I honestly believe this. If he didn't have any amps, but one, it would be a rev. You know what I mean? Yes. So he's a rev fan. That's for sure. So what's interesting is where I, where I wonder about this sometimes with, with how these brands, you know, push the, the product, which is again, it's not a negative. It's, it's not what I'm saying. Like, like that is that, does he get mixed in with a bunch of reviewers as someone who's just promoting product at that time, even though he's legitimately in love with their product as a whole. Does it make sense? And so, um, so that's why, like I said, I'm always curious when I ask the questions, what, what people think. Yeah. Uh, what, what I found interesting is that they, it, it, it's, it's not so uh, like a lot of people, they didn't have so much with um, a, a problem with that. It was too much of that product, but right. a lot of people had a problem with, if everybody is releasing at the same time, then they no longer trust anyone. And mm -hmm. I was like, that, that doesn't really uh, like that. That's kind of a weird side effect. And I don't really see how that jump is made because uh, like there's so much time and effort that goes into YouTube and building a following and, and um, building a reputation of integrity. It's like, why would you, try to throw, why would you throw that away on one video that maybe gets like 7,000 views and like eight bucks in ad revenue and you get a free pedal? It's like, right. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, but that's, oh, go on. It, yeah. So I, I don't know that, that was interesting to me because it's that kind of insight that I would never think about that. Uh, uh, like as on the other side of the camera, I would never think about um, that, that I thought was interesting reading through your comments. Yeah. And so, and that's what I, I think about when I, I, on my channel and I think about it for all our channels, right? It's not, um, it's not about doing the right thing or wrong thing. Morals, no morals. Who's telling the truth. Who's not telling the truth. That stuff's, that stuff's silly. What I worry about is 
you know, we make content so people can enjoy it and hopefully learn something. Whether whether you teach because you're 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 experienced and you got this information, or you teach because you're experiencing and they're seeing that, right? There's definitely two ways to 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 you know, sometimes watching somebody mess something up is really cool because now you don't have to go mess it up. You can watch yeah. right. And so uh and so what happens to me is I worry about the um the idea that they stop watching because they start thinking like you said i don't think people understand like you make a pedal video and if it gets ten thousand views you make like eight dollars right yeah it, it's it's ridiculous it's, it's nobody does this really for the money because <laughs> it like it, it everyone just sees like the final product which is like a five minute video a 20 minute, 20 minute video yeah. but they don't see everything that goes into doing it like uh money for your time this is not a great job <laughs> no it's not uh yeah, but uh, so yeah, so like I said, it was it was a fun. I, I had fun. I hope everybody had fun with it. I just want. I, I'm curious, and like I said, and the feedback has been really interesting, and that's what I love about the the community out there. They they have no problem telling everybody what they think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I I, I, I saw you chat. I think we should get back to gear because somebody just said. I agree. YouTubers talking about YouTube on YouTube is really annoying. So yes. Yeah. Okay. So James' question is, he's got one for me just real quick. It says, I see you have two bases in your rack. I'm thinking about getting a base. Thoughts on what I should uh, be looking for when buying a base amp. So is he talking about you? Because I think you have two bases. I think so, because there's two bases back there. And um, there's, they're, they're both squires. And literally, I don't know anything about bass. So uh, I just got what was cheapest because... To, to me, and this sounds really bad, but because I'm still learning about bass, it's not my main instrument. But a bass sounds like a bass to me. So, like, uh, <laughs> and also since I don't do my own mixing, as long as I get like the bass frequencies, like that's all that really matters to me. Um, but the Squires play well, so um, I guess if you're more um, into bass tones, just get one of those and like a set of EMGs or something used, and you can get a pretty decent playing and sounding bass for not a lot of money. I absolutely agree. I think Squire basses are, I personally think Squire basses are a better quality and dollar and price point than Squire guitars. And I, and I mean that wholeheartedly and I like Squire guitars. So, so I mean, no Squire basses. I think if you get a Squire P bass or jazz bass and you, you record with it, you're going to get a good tone. It's a great, it's a great affordable base. A lot of people are like, what upgrades do you do? I'm like, I don't know. It's up to you, but I mean, really just plug it in and record. You'll, you'll get a good sound. Um, yeah. People so swear by active pickups in bases for recording. So um, that's really the only, the only kind of insight I have on that plays well and it. It'll, it'll fit EMGs. Yep. Sound. Yep. I agree. And then Brian says, please explain. He's saying, Phil, Phil, please explain layman's terms. F spacing when upgrading pickups i know f is for fender uh seems it matter seems it matters uh for other brands too my brain is hurting yeah man this is easy brian um f spacing especially when you see f spacing unless i'm mistaken with other companies it's usually a term i've only seen with um dimarzio so the problem is, is this industry is very, it's not a regulated industry because there's no safety issues. So everybody likes to make up their own wiring for pickups because there's no current running through them to kill anybody. Uh, so that's why, uh, you know, one will use a red as a hot and somebody will use a black as a hot wire. And so that's what I'm basically saying is, is that, uh, so in the terms, what you're talking about is everybody has a different term for it. Um, 
Seymour Duncan calls it uh, trim spacing, trim like tremolo spacing, like a trim bucker. Um, so F spacing, trim spacing is basically spacing made for a floating type bridge. So you want F spa spacing in a bridge pickup only if you have a Floyd Rose, a Fender's tremolo system, any kind of tremolo system, because the spacing between the saddles is wider than it would be for a, a hardtail or a, like a Les Paul type bridge, like a, a Tone Pros. However, I've said this over and over again, it it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to, there are thousands, if not millions of guitars being recorded on hundreds of albums with the wrong spacing pickups in them. Uh, perfect example, Eddie Van Halen took a, a Gibson picket and pick up and shoved it in his guitar which is not the correct spacing so you, you can do it either way but if you're gonna buy a pickup and you want to be very thorough you can buy the spacing i think sir pickups just says flat out it's 50 millimeter 53 millimeter spacing so they do by measurements um just curious your thoughts you do you do you care about f spacing is it something you put thought into no again this is like one of those things that so i i didn't really get into gear until after i started doing youtube which is crazy so like um i didn't really know about the difference between f spacing so i did i did a, a video with um a company called buddha pickups and they they custom wine pickups to your to your liking and i had an old bullet strat that i was putting a, a pickup into and he asked me what spacing i'd want and i was like I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so he he just went with whatever covers that he had at the time. So I have a um, a, a Gibson-sized humbucker in my Squire Bullet Strat, and it sounds it sounds fine. I mean, I had to carve out the uh, the pick guard a little bit, but I mean, it sounds it sounds good to me. So if it sounds good, then doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, uh, Pete Thorne says that I love it. If it sounds good, it is good. And then somebody said it comes from something else. I'm sure it does, but he's the one I say, he says it a lot. And I love it when he says it, if it sounds yeah. good, it is good. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of time we get bogged down in, in like the specifics We're like, Oh, EL, it's got EL 34s instead of six L sixes. So it must suck. It's like, not. Nah, I mean, it sounds good. So like, whatever, man. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny to me is I, I, I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. And so it's a good topic. I love bringing it up every time. I have seen musicians over the years be tech savvy. In other words, they know all the specifications of stuff. And I've seen musicians who know nothing about techs, but use their ear. And a lot of times they can come to the same conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is amazing, right? Somebody's like, they can, they can read specs and go, this is the right thing. And then they'll be right. And then somebody else can listen to it and you know what I mean? So it's, there's a ton of ways to get to the same place. Yeah, well, it gives some legitimacy then to like you know what what we talk about if you give a review or something because you know you're not just you're not just cork sniffing. There is like some sort of basis behind what you're saying. Yes, yes. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll do a ten minute warning, and so let's see if we can find a a cool a cool cool question. Um, some of the random stuff they put in here. Um, yeah, the human head weighs eight pounds. I mean, good good point, man. Yeah, and I saw the same one. That's what I was reading too. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, wait. What's uh, SG Flying V said Freeman B E O D in the effects loop? Question mark. Um, you like using it like a preamp and putting it into the? I guess you could plug it into the return of effects loop. Go right to the power amp. 
use like a preamp. You could do that. I, I don't prefer that. I like to prone my pedals in the front of the amp, no matter what they are. Yeah. Um, same here. Like with, uh, if people are comparing the, the Rev T3 to the, to the Friedman and like the type of pedal that it is. And I just, I mean, I, I always prefer the, I, I tried the, the G3 through the preamp. I haven't tried the Friedman specifically, but, but at least for the G3 sounded so much better in front of the, uh, the clean channels than it did in the preamp. But that was just my experience. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I think a lot of times it has to do with how they, when, when you, when they make a product, um, like cooking food, it's the same kind of logic, right? They got to kind of set the parameters, right? There's a base control on that pedal, but they got to set how far does the base go and how, you know, how shallow does it goes, you know, what frequencies. And um, a lot of times that's based on their ears of what they're doing when, the, and they're running it through an amp, any through the front of the amp. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I've had that experience where all of a sudden an amp sounds really good with a certain type of guitar, like a Les Paul versus a Strat. And then, right. when, and later when I'm talking to the designer, They'll say, oh, I was using Les Paul to, to, and I'm like, ah, you know what? That would totally make sense because it sounded really bright with my Strat. So. Exactly. Uh, Evan says, hey, I'm buying my first guitar soon. That's cool, man. Like Congrats. your first guitar? Yeah. Uh, and I'm dead set on an Explorer body. Do you have any recommendations? Thinking about the Epiphone 1984, but I'm worried about its quality, says China. He's got China. Uh, actives preferred because of old school. Yeah, okay. so that's the one that that's modeled after the the Hetfield Explorer, I think. Yeah, I mean that looks dope. Yeah, and you know, uh, quality because of China thing. You know, to me, I, I, to me, the whole we talked about this earlier, the whole China, Indonesia, Korea, you know, Germany, Canada, Mexico. The, I hate to say it for me. It's never, it's never that I can't own guitars that are good in all those places. It's just, I, I hate to say it for me. It's price. China makes a great guitar. I own a bunch of guitars from China. I love them. I just don't want to pay $3,000 for one right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Cause right. Cause like what he said, cause you're getting ripped off. So to me, it's not, uh, when somebody's like, well, would you own a Chinese guitar? I, yes. And I do. Uh, but I don't want to pay uh, a premium price on them you know what i mean just because um yeah. and i've heard all the excuses somebody's like well you own apple products and they're expensive and they come from china i'm like yeah i understand that but uh but and if there was a apple type computer made in the u.s for the same price i would probably buy that over a chinese made apple um and for no other reason than you know i don't know because because of what he said uh it's because you know that the you know that the labor costs are more so you know what you're paying for i'm paying for the labor costs you know what i mean i like the idea that if the people get the money in china you know the labor costs are lower so you know that uh when a, if a price if a guitar is three thousand dollars in china you know the company somewhere in the company somebody took the money <laughs> yeah somebody yeah. high up somebody yeah, who somebody wasn't building the guitar Right. So uh, to me, when I think about a, a $3,000 Chinese guitar, I think of a CEO with eight Lamborghinis. You know what I mean? Not a bad life. No, not a bad life, but I don't necessarily want to support that if I don't have to. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's cool. Yeah, man. So that, oh no, go oh, on. No. no uh, so yeah, just, yeah. If you're into explorers, I think that's a cool guitar. We both seem to like it. Uh, I think you'd be safe. Yeah, and Epiphone, we talked about Epiphone's quality or consistency, as you put it, is pretty decent nowadays. And, and you know, if you buy it from a store, they, they can have it set up for you and it'll, 
it'll be fine. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so the the Indonesian factories, like that's that's why I get kind of confused about the the prices for Indonesian Ibanezes because Indonesia isn't that much more expensive for labor than China is, and some of those Indonesian Ibanezes are over a grand. Yeah, so fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, so that's why I'm kind of I'm kind of iffy on those Indonesian Ibanezes for the same reason. I'm like, I'm I'm getting ripped off here. I think I upset the Ibanez rep the year that the Steve Vai the surf green looking gym came out. I remember I was at the Nam show and I saw it. it was the first day and I, I remember seeing it and I was just in love. Right? I was like, oh, this could be like the coolest gym ever. And I walked up and it was $1,500 street price, you know, cause they got the retail, you know, and your like street, $1,500 street price. And I flipped over and it says made in Indonesia. And I was like, are you kidding me? I yeah, go, where, where does that come from? I go, I can buy an American strat for $1,500. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and I go, and there's nothing in this guitar that's different than that. It's a bolt on maple neck, a Floyd Rose, a, a, an import Floyd Rose doesn't cost much different than a, tremolo from right i was like i couldn't figure out what i was paying for um and for that reason you're like i thought the whole point of going there was to make this guitar eight hundred dollars you know what i mean yeah um, but i think so you know and this is just a theory again not to cause drama <laughs> there on the internet <laughs> i think sometimes prices get determined obviously everybody says hey it's worth what you want to pay for it but and they're not wrong, but my point with the Ibanez specifically is I think that Indonesian gym is $1,500 because the Japanese one was $3,500. Oh yeah. So relatively it's yeah, a bargain. It's a bargain. Right. So I think that's where that sometimes un unfortunately prices, you know, kind of, I hate to say it, maybe it's true in a lot of things. Maybe a Mexican made Strat is $600 because an American one is 14. It doesn't have anything to do with actually what it physically costs to make it there or not. It's just like, this is in retrospect to pricing. This is the value point. Um, and that's where it gets a little, a little, a little tough, right? You never know, but I agree with you hundred um, percent. So, you know, like uh, the guitar reviewed this week, the, um, that music man was made in Indonesia and it was five ninety nine with a deluxe gig bag. Right. Right. And there was comments on that video. Like Ibanez makes, makes them for, for 15. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. where does that extra thousand? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you know, but again, unfortunately, everybody's got to come to their own price decision on their own. I can only just tell you what I think when I look at my, what I buy. Yeah. So, uh, and, and La Catera has his own theory. He says they are more expensive, but they let the workers go to the toilet. Maybe, maybe, you know, see, those are all valid points. You know what I mean? Those are all valid points. The, the, uh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, see, you know, and then here's another one. Uh, somebody else put, uh, yeah, it's the same person, the, in, however you said that name, said that uh, Ibanez also makes Indonesian guitars for 300 bucks. Well, yeah, by that nature, I've seen Indonesian guitars for 150 bucks. Yeah. Um, Harley Benton, I'm pretty sure, makes, makes yeah. Indonesian-made guitars. Yeah. So, yeah, you see where it gets a little tricky? Um, and you know what? Let's take the argument even further. I love a good argument. Uh, Let's go. Yeah. Here, here's what's weird. If you think about it, see where is Gibson makes a $5,000 guitar in the same physical building as they do an $800 guitar. Now it's stripped down, but it's still made in the same building. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, 
It's hard because uh, I get questions about this all the time because people are like, what, what makes this guitar, especially um, world music, right? You've got the agiles that are made there and then you have the, uh, like the $1,200 LTDs. And it's like, so where's the extra money coming from? And I, I, I can't tell you. Right. I don't know. Well, brand definitely does pull it because think yeah. about this, like when you talk about world, what I think about all the time is, okay, so in world manufacturing, you know, uh, you got Chapman's guitars and then you got PRS's guitars and you got uh, Schechter's guitars. And I'm just picking on those three for, for a reason. Those three will make the same spec guitar to the, and, and Schechter is actually on the highest price point of that. And then Chapman's on the lowest price point of that. Does it make sense? And, and PRS is right in the sweet spot in the middle. So, so funny enough, that is a perfect example of commanding the price that the brand can command. Yeah. And then also, I also hear it goes down to, because apparently Agiles are made in the same one. And I have a $500 Agile, which is like the lowest of the low from, from world music. And I think it's also like the amount of like quality control hours that they put into it or the amount of like actual labor they have to do, non-machine hours. So, but like, I still don't understand what makes, the Schecter a thousand dollars more than like the agile. Yeah. I don't know. Rob Baker's uh, here. He says, Hey, are Dana electros made in the same factory? They're made in the other one. What's the other factory called in Korea? Swing? So, huh? Swing? No, it's, why, I don't can't know. It, why, why can't I think of the name? It's world. And there's the other one, but the other one, I, I'm sorry, I'm spacing, but the other one makes uh Dana electro and they make um, reverend and they make fret King. You know what I mean? Those two factories pretty much make 95% of all the guitars you see coming out of out of Korea. So so and to me, Mir, it's called Mir. See, it took me a second to cut. So Mir. Um so Mir uh so those those two factories make pretty much anything you see coming out of Korea. There's speaking of which, since since you guys brought it up, we're on this the side of there's not that many factories in Korea anymore. Samic was a Korean factory and it's in china now indonesia no i went to indonesia um because korea basically had a their government uh put in some laws and, and made it to where there's a standard in how much somebody has to be paid and how they're treated so a lot of factories left yeah yeah um see and that's a good example of why uh when people talk about korean guitars being more you know be more money that's one of the reasons why korean guitars are more money is that those factories that stayed making those guitars it's because the the government changed some of the rulings and said, "Look, you gotta you gotta treat people this certain way, and you gotta pay them a certain kind of wage." And um, and Samic Samic, uh, I've been going to the damn show for fifteen years, and let me tell you, they stopped probably about four years ago. But employees of Samic used to in court used to picket Nam every year because they wanted people to support the fact that they left Korea. And they left all the Korean workers there. So let's not end it on a bummer note. Let's find yeah. one. Yeah, let's find something cool. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we'll do one cool. Oh, you know what? Here's a good one. Uh, solderless patch cables, thoughts and recommendations. You got any? Solderless patch cables. I don't yeah. think I've ever used any of those actually. Yeah, so like George L, if you're familiar with them, they do it. Lava Cables does it. Uh, Daddario does it. Um, there's probably a couple others that I'm missing. Um, I I like the Daddario ones because the cables are a little thicker. You know what I mean? They 
and the and the George L's are great too. I use both the George L's. Uh, I don't use lava because I bought George L's first. I think that's common, right? You buy something and then somebody tells you about something else, but you're like, I already bought what I have. Yeah, and then you're just like, you you stick to your guns and you just like, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, no thought. I haven't tried one yet. Yeah. Okay, and what do you got for the last question before we go? Let's guys start putting in those questions. Anything about guitars, pedals, basses, unicorns? Since you guys like to throw random comments, I'll throw random comments back. Um, says Phil McKnight isn't afraid of affordable guitars. What about amps? <laughs> affordable amps? Uh, you know, I hate to say it, affordable amps, I think, make more sense than affordable guitars to me. Do you care? You, you have a nice yeah. amp. You have, you have a couple of nice amps, right? Yeah, I've got a like a, a Mesa Boogie, a dual rectifier, and I've also, right on top of that, I have a Jet City 100 HDM, which goes for like a quarter of the price. And the the Jet City sounds phenomenal, and it's it's all it's all PCBs and and soldering, right? So it's like right. it's uh, the sound isn't going to be that much different um, than than if you had it made in the states with the with the same parts. But uh, the main reason that I don't use it compared to like a Mesa Boogie is just because the effects loop it's got the Sedano effects loop, which only works with rack rack gear, and none of my uh, none of my actual pedals but um, other than that like you know if i was if if i didn't have the the mesa boogie i'd be totally fine with running um a, a jet city or even like one of the new bogueras like the the ones that don't explode as soon as you look at them um like they're they sound good it's, if it's a tube amp it sounds good so you're saying your Sedona doesn't work with your pedals is it because you're not using like a buffered pedal it needs more signal push through it no, it, it's it's something weird. So so it's uh, the Jet Cities, the original ones were all Sodano designs, um, and they're they're meant to work with rack line gear as opposed to or uh, rack gear as opposed to line level gear or something. I don't really oh. know what that means, but right. it just sounds like garbage if you if I run like a chorus pedal or a delay pedal or a a, a uh, noise gate through the effects loop. Like it, it makes it sound really muffly and really dark and just none of like the bright aggression of like a Soldano. Have you tried to use like a buffer pedal in that effects loop to see if it helped? I have not because I've never had a, a need for one besides like, I was just like, fuck this. It's not working. I'm going to go back to my Mesa Boogie. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So, so, Cause here's the funny part. Mesa Boogies to me, um, I have a bunch of Mesas and I love my Mesas, but like, boss pedals to the effects loop always seem to cause a humming problem because they're so they're buffered you know what i mean they're so hot the signal's so hot so i have the exact opposite problem um but i i love my mesas oh people in the chat are saying we need to ask simon a question before we go unfortunately i don't think i think simon doesn't have pants on right now so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna <laughs> bust in there <laughs> um so yeah so to answer that last question i yeah i think affordable amps uh, well, first of all, they're, they're definitely the future. There's definitely not going to be, you know what I mean? There's yeah. too much going on in the world for that not to be the future. Um, so, um, and then what else do we got? Last, last one. Pants are overrated. 
Pants True. are overrated. Oh, you know what? Oh, go on. <laughs> I'm just reading to tell Simon I don't have pants on either. Uh, Michael, I will tell him. <laughs> um, BC, BC Rich 581 says Panama makes a good affordable twin 12 cabinet with an attenuator. You know, what's funny is that, that that's what we'll leave on. You know what I, I really think I, I, about affordable amp stuff. I really think the future is affordable cabinets. I, I, I really don't understand at this point, unless you're buying imminence, and I'm a selection guy. I like Eminence too. I have Eminence, but I'm a selection guy. At this point, all selections made in China. There's just no escaping that. And I actually have real English selections and Chinese ones. I can't tell the difference. You know what I mean? Other than the fact that my English ones are older, so they're probably broken in a little differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so at this point, I laugh sometimes when, like, Behind me, I paid a fortune for that silly uh, Marshall 2061 212 behind me that I'm pointing at right now. It was like some ridiculous price. I think I paid 700 bucks because I wanted it, right? <laughs> and it's two Chinese speakers shoved in a cabinet that was made in England. Well, what do I care where the cabinet's made? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a cabinet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I've I, my couch is probably from China. It's fine. It's leather. <laughs> Right. So to me, I think at this point, it's I, I kind of think a lot of companies should really just move, you know, the cabinetry side to the affordable side. Does it make sense? Because yeah. I think cabinet prices have gotten out of control. Oh, for, for sure. Like I've, I've been looking at some of the I, like I got mine used just because I was looking at at some of the cabs. Like when I got a, when I got my first real job, I was like, holy shit, I can afford like cool stuff now. And then I looked at the price of cabinets and I was like, no, like, are you kidding me? It's like for a box of wood with Chinese made speakers, like get out of here. Yes. When I bought, um, when I bought this, uh, PRS 212, which is made by Mojo, right? So PRS doesn't even make their own cabinets, which I knew that buying it. I'm not dumb. They, <laughs> but I wanted it to match, right? It's about matching. See, it matches. <laughs> um, and, and these things are a thousand dollars for a 212 cabinet. Are you serious? Yeah, and my wife said, you could buy a couch for the price they made a box. <laughs> you could buy a lot of stuff for the price they made a box. Right. So, um, so yeah, So, I, and I told Paul Reed Smith, the, the company, I said, you should just, you know, since you don't make your cabinets and you're paying a fortune because they're having a made by Mojo, right? And, and then they got to add to it. They should go overseas. So I noticed they're doing overseas cabinets now with the new Tremonti series, you know, of amps and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like you, I'm sometimes I'll, I'll go, I'm like, oh, I want a 212 and I'll go look and I'm like $8.99 for a 212 box with two selection speakers that combined have a have a street price of maybe $150, $250, right? Yeah. It, and I talk to companies about it and they constantly tell me that basically time-wise, labor-wise, there's not a lot of cost difference between a 112 and a 212, you know, a 412. And, and I get that, I guess. But then I'm like, you know, like you, it's, it's, it's just, I don't want to pay that. Yeah. I don't want to pay. And then you see what like Harley Benton's doing with their, with their two by 12s with Celestian speakers. And then you're just like, I saw the why? Glenn, I saw the Glenn Fricker video where he's doing the comparison with the Mesa. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. And they sound different, but they both sound good. So it's like, yeah. So it will be interesting. I think he re reveals that next week. Right. Yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, Glenn Fricker's channel, he just reviewed the 
uh, Harley Benton 212 versus the Mesa Boogie 212. And I really say this honestly. I think Mesa Boogie makes some of the best quality cabinets out there. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, if you ever seen the Mesa Boogie shop and how they build cabinets, man, these guys are like, they take that stuff to 10. They take it serious, right? They're, they're definitely cabinet builders. So that's why I'm curious because, you know, um, I trust the Mesa guys for making good quality stuff. So that's a really good comparison to me is, is, is how well can this hand, you know, stand up. Um, but what he did that was interesting was he did the audio, but he doesn't tell you which one's which, and he won't tell you until next week. So if you want to have fun, I'd hop over. I'll put a link in this video to go to his video. Check that out. Try to put your, you can put it whether or not you thought A or B was better. I agreed with Agwafish. I couldn't, I couldn't arguably say one was better. I just think like, okay, that one's this, this, this is brighter. This was darker. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see which one's which. And then we'll leave with this last one. Wait. Okay. Last question. It's from Matthew. It says, Hey, why are six, six, why are the six L six RCA original tubes, 180 Watts in my 1950. So he's talking about six of them. He has six. Why are the six, six L six RCA original tubes, 180 Watts in my 1975 super twin, not reverb worth more than my entire amp. <laughs> I don't know if he's being serious or he's rhetorical, Matthew, but, uh, you know what? Uh, I can tell I, I'm not an authority on this, but I do have a friend who's what they call an audiophile, if you know what that is. Uh, and there's these guys out there, he's one of them. They're really into high end stereo systems. You know about, you know what I'm talking about? Agrofish? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they get crazy with this stuff and they will spend $1,600 for a set of tubes to get some old original tubes. Um, to put in this tube power amp section for their home stereo system. Uh, and again, different strokes for different folks, right? If that's what makes you happy and you got the money, disposable money and you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. You know, you earned it, you enjoy it. Um, but uh, the, to answer your question, why are they worth more than your amp? It's because they're probably, cause they're rare. <laughs> yeah. Cause somebody's willing to pay that much for them. Yeah. Because you can't get them. Uh, so if I was you, I would sell them and keep the amp. <laughs> put new tubes in it and you'll probably be fine. So on that note, we will, we will call it. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us today. I really appreciate Agrofish hanging out. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I, and, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll do more hangouts in the future and then, uh, I'll, I'm gonna let everybody go. You can stay on for a second because, and then, uh, just want to say goodbye. We'll see you next week. Also a big shout out. There was almost 900 of you watching today. So I appreciate that as well. That was awesome. Until next week, uh, I guess we'll say know your gear. Do you have a sign off? Do you have a thing you say? I never noticed. Uh, just thanks so much for watching. You've been awesome and I'll see you next time. Well, then we'll end Very with that. fairly standard YouTube stuff. <laughs> bye. Bye guys. <laughs>